Getting ready to take on spring? Make your first move with the reliable performance and power of steel tools. From hedge trimmers and mowers to string trimmers and more, right now save $30 on the American-made steel FS56 RCE trimmer. Real steel. The FS56 RCE is made in America of U.S. and global materials. Offer valid through June 16, 2024. See participating retailer for details. Aaron Rodgers is willing to weigh in on literally anything if you ask him. If you want something answered, Aaron Rodgers will give it to you, give you his opinion. Outkick 360 rolls on across the Outkick network. We are live from 6th and Peabody each and every day. That's where our studio is located, right here in Music City. 6th and Peabody with Yeehaw Beer and Old Smoky Moonshine. With Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Uh, coming up, Hudson Mason, former Georgia quarterback, recaps Georgia's national championship win over Alabama. Looking forward to chatting with him. Uh, he's been celebrating. He's been on the air uh, uh, broadcasting for 680 The Fan in Atlanta and uh, was uh, bringing all the coverage uh, to Georgia fans last night uh, for the the Bulldogs faithful who won for the first time since 1980. We'll get to that in about 20 minutes. Again, looking forward to that visit. Uh, Chad, Aaron Rodgers has weighed in on Joe Judge's decision to quarterback sneak. And going back and watching the series of events to set things up, it's the second quarter. They are pinned against their own end zone this past Sunday. It's second and nine. And he calls in a quarterback sneak for Jake Fromm, who plows forward for one or two yards. Third down, same play call. So after a first down play, he called back-to-back plays of a quarterback sneak. And I'll read you what Joe Judge's explanation for this was, which is a, a true embarrassment. I mean, they are getting just uh, destroyed in the papers and by fans and media, and rightfully so. I mean, wave the white flag. Well, we mentioned that for Jacksonville last week. This is a new low with a quarterback sneak on back-to-back plays in the second quarter uh, from uh, against your own goal line uh, trailing in the game. But Aaron Rodgers was asked about this. Um, his thoughts on a play caller actually deciding to do this, a head coach deciding this was a good thing for their game plan. Aaron Rodgers said a week or two ago that it's it's incredibly freeing when you are just unapol- unapologetically you. When you make the decision that you don't care what people think and you're just yourself. And he's clearly been that since this offseason, more so than ever before. And I'm here for it because it's wildly entertaining uh, with his level of honesty. Uh, this was his quote from the Pat McAfee show today. He was... Asked about the the tie scenario in on Sunday Night Football, that if both teams just took a knee and tied, they would both be in the playoffs, and how much he hated that concept, which I agree with him on. He says, you play to win the game. Nobody wants to be a part of kneeling the bleep out to take a tie. You know what would make me lose my mind almost as much as that? Goal line personnel and a QB sneak on third and nine from the five. And, of course, taking shots at Joe Judge and the Giants. He went on to say, yeah, call that one in, Matt, talking about head coach Matt LaFleur, and let's see what happens. That bleep ain't flying. That was unbelievable. I love it. Amen, Aaron Rodgers. We're on board with that. On that, and we went off on that yesterday. Just the message, it sends your team. I'm amazed that Joe Judge still is employed by the Giants right now. 
When you see other, Brian Flores can't get he along with be. his coaches, I mean, that, uh, but Brian Flores is a much better coach than uh, than Joe Judge. I mean, it's amazing to me that he still has a job. And, and you're right, Hud. Maybe he loses it, but I'm well, loving I'm loving honest, unfiltered Aaron Rodgers. Well, here's what here's what um, here's what's happening. So he met with the ownership with the Giants yesterday, as we were discussing this topic yesterday, and I said. Hold it, because they, just because Gettleman's retiring, retiring, quote-unquote, doesn't mean that Joe Judge, because he survived day one, means he's going to last. Because typically, at least based on what I've seen over the last 16, 17 years now covering the league in some capacity, when the owner is meeting with the coaches on the hot seat, normally there are restrictions or at least demands made that the coach must agree to in order to come back. And most of the time, the coach refuses and he walks. At least that's what I've seen over the years. It's happened multiple times uh, here in in Nashville. Where, for instance, Mike Munchak was asked to make coaching changes. You don't want to do it, Mike? You're fired. That happened on a week where we didn't know if they were going to change GM and head coach or just the GM. It happened up, in a week where they went to Kansas City and won a playoff game, too. With with Mike Mike Malarkey. Oh, right? you're talking about oh, Malarkey. Sorry, Malarkey. You're talking about Munchak. Munchak. It happened with Munchak. It happened with Malarkey, where he was asked to make coaching changes and refused to do it. He backed his assistant coaches. I'm not saying that that's exactly what's happening here, but there's no reason to say definitively Joe Judge is going to remain the Giants' head coach just because he's meeting with ownership and Gettleman has retired and they're trying to plot their course. Um, I, I think demands will be made, and it's up to the coach to decide what he wants to do with it. Um, Chad, we've seen in, in recent, you'll have to help me with the examples in like the recent months, but we've seen, we saw it in Nebraska. Scott Frost, he gave in. He decided to come back and had to make coaching changes um, in the moment. Had to fire coordinators and, and get rid of guys that have been with season. him. Had been with him throughout, through, from UCF to Nebraska, and he elected to ditch his friends to keep his job. And that's what some of the coaches are forced with and it doesn't happen often, but it does happen. And that may be what is happening to the young tenure of Joe Judge in New York. Who knows? But this is ridiculous. And his explanation for it, here's his quote. So what happened, you have to go back two weeks where they were backed up on the road in Chicago. And the Giants, and again, I, I, I ripped Joe Judge for this last week. This is week 17. They, they were down two or three possessions in the first half. And Joe Judge's play calling, the Giants ran 22 passes to two runs. No, I take that back. 22 runs to two pass attempts down double digits in the first half. That was the halftime stat line. I mean, just ridiculous. No chance to win. Um, giving yourself no shot. I mean, that's the nearly the equivalent of just taking a knee and saying, please put us out of our misery. And so... In one of the situations, they gave up points because they were backed up against their own end zone. And uh, the Bears, I believe, started the game with a safety. If not, it was very early on. And fast-forwarding to this week, he elects backed up against his own end zone from the two-yard line, second down, second down and nine. He tells Jake Fromm to go quarterback sneak. And when they line up, it's very similar to the victory formation. I mean, it's ridiculous. Victory formation, quarterback sneak. Third down, same thing. Quarterback sneak, punt. He wanted to give himself room to punt. Here's his quote. I wasn't going to live through what happened last week in Chicago. So we're going to give ourselves room for the punt. 
We did that. We played the field position situation I wanted to play. The field position situation on second and nine has no bearing on where you're punting to because an incomplete pass has a chance to, a pass attempt has a chance to pick up a first down. A run has a chance to pick up a first down. I can guarantee you what a quarterback sneak is going to get you. About a yard and a half to two yards, depending on the next size of your quarterback. Chad, this is so ridiculous that he goes with the field position because two incomplete passes or two runs that are stuffed at the line of scrimmage get you the exact thing that a quarterback sneak gives you, but it gives you more of a chance to actually pick up yards necessary to give your punter room and to actually move the sticks. I mean, consider that for an NFL offense, moving the chains. This, in effect, guarantees the punt after one play on a drive. And he's saying he's doing it for field position. You're speaking too reasonably, Hutton, uh, because there's no reason in this. He went full, full Bud Kilmer from Varsity Blues where he's not interested in no more turnovers is basically what he's telling his team. The guy is a clown. It started with those comments where he said they're not a clown show. And when you're saying you're not a clown show, nine times out of ten, guess what? You're a clown show. And then he's talking about getting text messages from former players begging to come back, saying it was the biggest mistake they made leaving the Giants and what they're trying to do. Give me a break. His very existence with a head coaching job right now, by the minute, bothers me. The Giants, who've been a very good organization, you clean house. Gettleman retires, a forced retirement, and you fire your coach and you start over. You hire a GM, let that GM hire a coach. I'm not even allowing for the GM to possibly meet with Joe Judge and decide, oh yeah, this guy's good. He's the but, guy to lead this organization. So he needs to be the head coach. Here's where he contra- Fire them both. Even his terrible explanation contradicts itself because he's saying he wants to avoid what happened last week in Chicago, which was the safety, Right. First down, they went play action and then tried to they went play action backed up inside their 10 and attempted a pass in the flat to a fullback, which was incomplete. Then came a false start, and so it moved it back, and that's when he went quarterback sneak and just decided to punt. So he went play action inside his 10 instead of just again playing field position, going handoff, staying conservative. I mean, that in and of itself can be discussed and, and analyzed. This is the opposite. This is a another example of a fireball offense for Joe Judge. Uh, just it, it's the the whole coaching carousel thing in the NFL is is always intriguing to me because it seems very static in how teams evaluate and you always can tell, okay, this offensive coordinator for this great team is going to get an interview. This defensive coordinator is going to get an interview and round and round we go uh, you get the retreads, which I, I'm on record saying I, I'm surprised. I'll be surprised if Doug Peterson doesn't land somewhere. I think someone should hire Doug Peterson. And I'm not against hiring guys with head coaching experience, even if they got fired somewhere else. But this is the one that's really bothering me. And, and I think Armando Salguero did a great job laying out the reasons that Brian Flores got fired in Miami. It's not just because of coaching. It's because no one wanted to work with him. Uh, his, his coaches people around the building that he wasn't very pleasant to deal with and no one wanted to be around him, fine. If you don't want to per- if someone's on a personality fit, get rid of him. John McClain mentioned it with Bill O'Brien who did a good job from a coaching standpoint but was difficult for people. 
Um, I, I just I don't get it with Joe Judge. That decision bothered me. We saw plenty of teams around the league with nothing to play for that their coach was giving them every chance to win. Houston is a good example where they're letting it rip. Uh, they're not playing uh, to, to quarterback sneak it two times in a row on second and third down. The whole situation with the Giants bothers me, again, for a very proud franchise that typically makes very sound decisions. I also think it, I think it's funny, the score in the situation. It's 3 nothing. A safety, which is avoiding the situation, puts them down five. Either way, you're down one possession. Like, it, that makes no sense. And it's in the first half. His argument is, well, I, you know, it's 3 nothing. so I'm not going to risk giving them <laughs> points in a, in a defensive battle like we saw on Sunday between these two teams. I'm not going to have any part in ruining this for my team, this great 3 to nothing contest against the Washington football team. How dare I insert myself into the game and possibly do something that would wreck it for this great defense? That's Joe Judge's defense of that, that decision. And I'm with you. I think a lot of times on the coaching hires, it, it, it all comes down to how involved is ownership in the hire versus the general manager who's in place and whether or not he has a clue on the direction of where their franchise is headed. The issue with the Giants has been Dave Gettleman. And so whenever they bring in Joe Judge, who McLean had on earlier, uh, McLean discussed earlier who he had on, he, he's saying, hey, you know, everyone was talking about a, a couple of assistant coaches with New England. You didn't hear Joe Judge's name until he got the interview with the Giants. And I tend to agree with him. I mean, everyone latched on to the name once he became one of those hot names that the Giants were talking to, and you you link him to New York. But again, it just never really made sense. And then he shows up, first time head coach. Uh, he's making he's making his players run laps if they commit a penalty you know, during for a false start or whatever it might be during training camp during OTAs. I mean, it's just not the college game, and. I don't hear Belichick doing that, so I don't think he picked it up there. All of it's been bizarre from the from the start with Judge. And maybe he keeps his job, but if he does, I don't know how you have any faith in this guy. Well, Imagine Jake Fromm, who gets the play call, trying to establish, like, at least I'll come back next year as a backup option, right? Like they're, they don't know where they're headed at quarterback. But maybe Fromm, by starting can establish himself as the backup for the Giants. And in the second quarter, down three, you get in your, in your headset on second down and nine from the two, victory formation quarterback sneak, or whatever they want to call it. And then third down, same thing. And then him relaying that to the huddle in the second quarter. Well, Joe Judge would have been better off being in Starkville, Mississippi right now. That's where he played college football. Uh, he was the top choice at Mississippi State. That makes a lot more sense, and I'm not trying to diss Mississippi State when I say this, but comments like I'm getting text messages from guys who signed elsewhere that desperately want to get back here, that plays better with 17-year-olds you're recruiting that may believe that BS as opposed to professional athletes, especially with the New York Giants of all organizations. The guy would have been better off as a college coach, and he had a chance because – when they fired Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State, he was Mississippi State's top choice mm. and could be the head coach at Mississippi State. I, I think he has a bet. I'm not saying he's going to succeed there or would have succeeded, but he would have had a much better shot at succeeding as Mississippi State's head coach 
with his mentality and the way he speaks in press conferences and the way he handles a team, he's got a better shot at doing something in college than the NFL. Coming up throughout the hour, uh, we will give the updated draft order. And uh, we have the way too early, way too early, top 25 for next year and the odds on who's going to be playing for the national title. National title next year, by the way, is at SoFi Stadium uh, out in Los Angeles. They go from Indy to L.A. Imagine the crowd in L.A. with Bama and Georgia last night instead of the, the easy travel that they had to Indy. Well, imagine the crowd if uh, COVID restrictions are still in California right. uh, a year from now. I'm saying there's still a possibility. Well, no doubt. A year from now, that game might get moved, just like the Super Bowl may be moved. Georgia takes home the crown, winning for the first time since 1980. Uh, we will chat with Hudson Mason, former Georgia quarterback, uh, now does radio for 680 uh, in Atlanta. He'll lend his perspective on the magnitude of last night's performance. He'll give us insight on everything that took place with Stetson Bennett throughout his career. And we'll discuss Kirby Smart and now the legacy of being a championship-winning head coach for the Georgia Bulldogs. That's next on Outkick 360. Been quite the, uh, the calendar year for our next guest. Welcome back, Outkick 360, across the Outkick network. With Chad Withrow, I'm Jonathan Hutton. Hudson Mason, former Georgia quarterback, just sees his team win the national championship, the program winning it for the first time in 41 years. Meanwhile, he's on the radio in Atlanta for 680 The Fan, and the Braves win the World Series as well. I mean, these things tend to go in cycles. You know, Boston with the Red Sox and the Patriots winning. Tampa Bay wins uh, in the Super Bowl. They also win the Stanley Cup. Uh, this is this is George's year, Chad. This is prime time uh, to be a, uh, a a Georgia fan, Georgia Bulldogs, Atlanta Braves. I, I am curious though, when do you officially end the moniker of the loser city? Like, does it take one? You get one breakthrough and then that's it. Like you can never claim that again. You can't bemoan the state of Georgia Hard or to Atlanta them right now ever again. I I think so. Hudson Mason joins us. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at HMason14. And again, uh, host for 680 The Fan. Uh, more importantly, in this case, giving perspective on the Georgia Bulldogs uh, as a former quarterback himself for the program. Hudson, great to have you on the show again, man. Hope you're doing well. Congrats. Yeah, thanks for having me. So what's it like watching Georgia hoist the championship last night? Oh, man, uh, a lot of different emotions. I think if I'm being honest, the first one was probably jealousy. Uh, you know, you're, you're, you're watching all these guys uh, get to the pinnacle of where every college football player dreams and strives to get to. And, um, you know, you, you think about all those 110s and, and uh, you know, mile runs and 5 a.m. mat drills and all the times you got cussed out in training <laughs> camp and, and all the times you question, man, is this worth it? And those things and those memories are running through my head. And, and I'm thinking how special of a moment it is for anybody in life when you put so much sweat equity into anything that you do and you get to reap the harvest of being able to say that, you know, you're, you're at the peak, you're at the mountaintop of your profession uh, is what 1% of people, no matter what industry you work in in life, be able to get to say. And um, it, it was very cool. And, and it's also you know, special to finally end the uh, the 1980 41 year uh, jokes as well. 
Well, and it's, you know, no one really thinks of Georgia football as some starved for success fan base because they, they've had a lot of success, had success when you were there. They've had success a lot over the years. They just haven't won that, that br- broken through and got that national championship. I know when you're on a team, Hudson, you know, you're playing for your teammates, your coaches. You're not necessarily always thinking about the outside fan base or I- any broad strokes themes. But when you play at Georgia, did you feel the weight of 1980? As a player, was that something that was discussed? Was it something that you felt that this was a fan base and a program that that needed it badly? Because so much of the talk since last night has been the Georgia people and how much how important it was for Georgia people to not have 1980 hanging on to them anymore. Yeah, it's a good question. I mean, never was you know 1980 or at that time you know what 35 years brought up in a in a team meeting from Mark Richt or anything like that, but. You know, when, when you meet as a team at the beginning of the year in training camp, you always talk about your goals. And, you know, we always started with we want to be playing in that game in the first weekend in December in Atlanta and, and then kind of go from there, which we knew if we were playing in that game, it also meant we were going to have a chance to play for at that time uh, before the playoff uh, for the national championship. And so, you know, those two kind of go hand in hand. So as far as individually, I don't know if I necessarily felt that pressure about, hey, we got to end this national title drought as much as it was. And you're at the University of Georgia and you're the quarterback when specifically you are the quarterback at the University of Georgia. There's a lot of weight on your shoulders and, you know, there's a lot of pressure and you kind of either thrive and embrace that pressure or, you know, it kind of busts you. And I think that's one of the more interesting facets and storylines of just the way this played out with Stetson Bennett is, not not just his story in general, that's remarkable. But the fact that like this guy after the SEC championship game, guys, publicly said he knows the fan base doesn't want him as a starting quarterback. Like how many quarterbacks, as long as you've been following college football for your team or any team, have come out and said, yeah, I know the fan base doesn't want me. The fan base doesn't like me. And so this kid just continued to fight off the noise, uh, continue to just grind and keep his head down and get better. And in an era in college football where quarterbacks don't wait, they don't wait to see the field. You know, Stetson Bennett got benched last year, was the third string quarterback at the beginning of the year. 99.9% of quarterbacks transfer. He sat, he waited his turn, he maximized his opportunity. And not only is it a great story, some people have referenced, oh, it's Rudy. I'm like, dude, this ain't Rudy. This is Kurt Warner. Rudy played one freaking play. Like, (laughs) you know, like this is better than Rudy. This is more like, you know, like Kurt Warner. So to me, it's the greatest story that we've seen in college football history. And I'm not trying to be hyperbolic by that. I think Baker Mayfield is like a close second of a walk-on wins the Heisman. But, I mean, to me, this story blows Rudy out of the water. Hudson Mason, our guest, former Georgia quarterback, radio host, 680 The Fan in Atlanta. Put in perspective uh, how you thought, or, or maybe just in general, the fan base, what was expected after the SEC title game, where the, the talk was JT Daniels, going back to your previous point, um, and how Hudson, uh, how he, how Stetson performed against Michigan and then against Bama last night, winning offensive player of the game in both performances? Uh, the fact that he rebounded the way he did after the performance against Bama the first go around, I'm sure no one predicted it, but what did you expect to see from him in the, in the playoff? Yeah, you know, uh, what I expected to see from him, 
you know, I don't, I, I don't know if I could give you a direct kind of clear answer for that because I was just as, you know, um, I don't say confused, but I was just as eager to see like, what were we going to get? Were we going to get the guy and, you know, in the SEC championship game where he didn't play well and, and hear me out. Like there's a lot of people that made that game to be exclusively a quarterback problem. And I never thought that, you right, know, your yeah. historically great defense did not perform well, but he didn't either. Or were we going to get a guy who wasn't asked to do a whole lot and just, you know, kind of said, Hey, you know, we may not win because of you, but we may not lose because of you either. But I thought it was huge for his legacy for him to go out in the last two games, the orange bowl and play a type of game in which you go, okay, Georgia won because of him, like not in spite of him. I think that was huge because there's a lot of people that have called him a game manager, which I vehemently disagree with you can't be a game manager and be top 10 in the country in yards per completion. Like that just, those two aren't synonymous. You know, you can't be a dink and dunk, call him a dink and dunk guy when he's, you know, top 10, top five in the country in yards per attempt, QBR, a lot of these major statistical categories. So I, I thought it was huge for him to be able to kind of go out, quiet that noise and, and have a performance where you looked at him and you go, okay, Georgia won because of him, which you could absolutely say, easily because in the orange bowl, he goes 20 for 30, two touchdowns, no turnovers. And then last night obviously got off to a really slow start, but I thought the moments where Georgia needed him the most in that second half and specifically in the fourth quarter, after that fumble, he goes, I believe it's four for four for 83 yards and two touchdowns, you know, and and then has the big touchdown pass uh, to AD Mitchell uh, on the offsides play. I thought owning those moments were huge for him. And you could look at that and say, yeah, was Georgia's great defense great? I mean, was it kind of the the, the main catalyst to, to why they had a great year and they won the national championship? Absolutely. Uh, but Stetson Bennett, when you needed him to make throws to win the game, he stepped up. A little bit of breaking news. Joe Judge fired, according to Ian Rappaport, uh, just after we had that discussion. Uh, talking more about, about Stetson Bennett, I agree with you, Hudson. It's a great story. And I think it's one that's right on time for college football because so many of the headlines with Transfer Portal, with NIL, with coaches making way too much at times and holding administrations hostage for more money, these are things that aren't ultimately going to help college football. Stetson Bennett's story helps college football and helps people realize why they love college football. All that out there, though, I thought when he fumbled and that play happened, I thought, okay, here we go. Baby hands Bennett. You know, fumbles the ball, can't hold on to it. He's too small to play the position. You got Bryce Young on the other side. It's going to happen to Georgia again. Bama's going to find a way. But wow, what a bounce back from that point on for, for Stetson Bennett. Yeah, it, it was. And, and you know, he won the MVP. But if they gave the MVP, in my opinion, to if it wasn't an individual award, it would go to the defense and, and specifically that defensive line. Guys, like the way that defense bowed their neck in the red zone was the reason Georgia won the di- won the game. You know, I mean, specifically after that turnover, they force a field goal. Um, if you remember earlier in the game when when uh, Bama threw kind of like a corner route to to uh, the tight end and the guy's just running wide free down the sideline, um, Keely Ringo, who had the pick later in the game, was the guy that got beat on that coverage. He could have quit. He could have said, oh, I got beat. I'm just going to loaf. He busted his butt down there, made the tackle at about the five-yard line. Georgia goes on to force a field goal. That's a difference of of 14 points. Georgia loses by 15. So, 
you know, Alabama ends up going one for four in the red zone last night. And I thought Georgia's red zone defense was phenomenal. And one of the main, if not the biggest reason why they went on to win. Um, and, you know, it, it, I think some people have will downplay Stetson's performance for those people. I just say, you know, like, why can't the kid just have his moment? You know, like uh, there, you know, there's some people who it's like you, if you don't, have a Trevor Lawrence performance or Joe Burrow performance, or, you know, if you don't have a Heisman type performance in the national championship game, ah, you didn't contribute, right? Ah, you, you're not the reason they won. And it's like, I think Kirby was trying to tell us all this year, specifically Georgia fans, when, when they were petitioning fans were petitioning for JT Daniels and saying, Oh, we're not going to win a national title. If they don't put JT in Kirby was kind of telling us the whole time, guys, trust me, like I'm at practice, I'm in the meetings and I think basically what he was saying is, is there, there's a difference between being the best quarterback and the best fit. And Stetson Bennett was the best fit for this year and this team because you had a historically great defense. Now, that may change next year. Next year, you may need a Joe Burrow type, right? You may need a Trevor Lawrence to win a, a, a type at the quarterback position to win a national title. But with this defense this year, you just needed a quarterback who wasn't going to turn the ball over a lot, could do an ad lib outside of the pocket with his legs. And yeah, he may not be a former uh, number one or, uh, you know, a, a number one NFL draft pick or a Heisman Trophy winning quarterback, but he just needed to do his part. And that's what Stetson Bennett did. And it was good enough to win it. Hudson Mason, our guest, former Georgia quarterback. Uh, from the quarterback view, from, from, from your eye here, Hudson, give us the perspective of Georgia didn't get much pressure on Bryce Young in the first matchup in the SEC title game. They were running him all over the field last night. What changed? But what, from your viewpoint, changed in the game plan from the state-of-the-art defense that Georgia has to get as much pressure as they did on Young? I think, um, number one, I just think there was a different energy about this team. Like, they got humiliated in the SEC title game. And, and football, sports in general, has a way of, of humbling you. And hum when you get humiliated, it, it teaches you things that you can't learn when you're on top of the mountain or when you're in moments of success, you, you learn when you lose, it's kind of a, a metaphor for life. You learn by failure and you experience things that you just can't quite learn uh, and experience and gain when you're successful. And, and so I think the fact they were humiliated, they had been hearing for two and three weeks, specifically that defensive line who has multiple first and second round draft picks on it. And it's true. They were a complete no-show. They were a complete non-factor. Uh, they showed up with just a vengeance and energy about them. I do think that Georgia blitzed a little bit more than they did the first time around. Uh, they played a lot more man. I think they tried to simplify and say, instead of trying to do a bunch of different things, we're going to simplify and try to be elite and really, really good at just uh, one or two things. So they played a lot of man, played man really well. They didn't bust in the secondary or have those busts like they did the first time these teams met. Um but watching those two teams, man, at the line of scrimmage, I mean, that was an absolute train wreck on the offense and defensive line last night. I mean, I, I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm going, this is why the SEC is the best conference in college football, right? Like, you got grown men at the O-line and D-line, and, you know, I'm watching Brian Robinson pick up a blitz when N'Kobe Dean is flying downhill at 100 miles an hour, and I'm going – Dude, there's a lot of running backs that ain't about that life. Like, like <laughs> the Kobe Dean is firing through the A gap 
And he just time and time again is picking up the blitz, picking up the blitz. There's a lot of running backs like, yeah, I'm good. I'm good. I'll step out or I don't want to, you know, so I think college football this year, it was good for, for people to get the two best teams. Alabama, Georgia were clearly the two best teams, the two best teams in the country because of just the, the monsters that they've got on the line of scrimmage. And Georgia now breaks through, wins the national title. To get to, to the Alabama year-in, year-out national success level, you got to replace coaches because everyone's going to come after your coaches. And Nick Saban's yeah. been a master at bringing in great coach after great coach to his staff. How big is the loss of Dan Lanning? Where do you think Georgia goes now? Obviously, Kirby Smart, a defensive guy, head coach. But how big is that loss with Dan Lanning headed to Oregon? You know, I don't think it's as big of a loss as maybe saying losing an offensive coordinator because there's a little bit of a different dynamic. You know, obviously Kirby's the head coach and he oversees everything defensively, but they've also got Will Muschamp there who has been basically kind of running the same system. They're both cut from the same cloth. He's been an assistant coach kind of waiting in the wings. I think this is exactly why Kirby brought him from South Carolina as a, you know, an analyst, much like Nick Saban has done for years learn the system, and then when somebody goes on to be a head coach, boom, you insert in. And they've got Glenn Schumann, who, by the way, inside linebackers coach that now has two Buckus Award winners. <laughs> I mean, Roquan Smith and the Kobe yeah. Dean. How many guys have that on their resume? Incredible, right? Um, all these guys have their fingerprints on the game plan. So I don't think it's as big of a loss. I'm sure they'll promote both of those guys, give them you know, a pay raise, co-DC. I don't think it's as big of a loss as maybe losing your offensive coordinator. Um where one guy is kind of singularly responsible for, for putting the game plan together. Um, and, you know, you're right. I mean, you, you, the next step for Georgia, right, is, okay, could this turn into a dynasty run? Could they win two in a five-year window, three in a five-year window like Clemson and Alabama previously have done? And to do that, you got to hit on one of two things. You got to hit on the quarterback every year, and you got to hit on specifically the offensive coordinator. As we've seen with LSU, man, when they lost Joe Burrow, and Joe Brady, they went back to looking like a 10-9 win team. Uh, Clemson this year, right? Clemson didn't hit on the quarterback this year, and they looked like kind of every other team in college football. It's one of the reasons why Nick Saban and Alabama have been what they've been. Every year, it seems like they hit on the quarterback. That'll be a big question moving forward for Georgia as Stetson Bennett has, a, has another year of eligibility, but will he come back? Hudson, you mentioned, and I love the the first response about just first thought of jealousy of not being a part of that moment and that team. Uh, I, I'm jealous I wasn't a part of the Athens celebration last night. From who you've talked to, what was Athens like? Um, man, uh, I don't know if you, if I can um, if I can correlate it to uh, <laughs> anything Astro World. Uh, I, I don't know. You know, I mean. <laughs> Uh, uh, you see these guys climbing light poles and, you know, uh, TP and trees. And I saw a couple photos. I mean, that's what it's all about, man. It's just college football is the best. And, you know, we, we, in Atlanta, people make fun of us. And I think you kind of have to be from Atlanta to understand that Georgia is Atlanta. The university is Atlanta. I know they're 60, 90 miles east, but you've got an alumni base in Atlanta of over 100,000. And so people go, well, oh, wait a minute, how do you claim Georgia as Atlanta, right? The Braves and now Georgia. And it's just one of those things where with as big and many alumni and the business base there in Atlanta, I mean, Georgia football outside of the Braves, I mean, it, it's it's a close second in Atlanta 
in terms of what we talk about the most. People don't, you know, NFL is king pretty much everywhere outside of, of the South. Well, in Atlanta, man, it is Braves and it is Georgia baseball or excuse me, Georgia football. Yeah. And uh, those two are as, you know, synonymous with each other in this city. And, you know, you think about getting both t- both of those titles in a one year span. It's uh, I've been alive 30 years and it's not even close. This has been the best sports year for Atlanta fans, in my opinion. And to put in perspective, what all happened last Kirby Smart just got a statue. That's what happened last night. Yeah. Right. I mean, that- Georgia does not. Georgia does not give statues away to anybody. By the way, Herschel Walker doesn't have a statue. You know, like they they have some pretty strict requirements that I think one of them is that you have to um, maybe they just built Herschel Herschel statue, but for the longest time they they didn't have one. You have to have graduated. You have to have your degree to get a statue. So they're very stingy on who they build statues for. But you're right, Kirby Smart should and absolutely will have one by the end of this. Great visit, man. Hope you're doing well. Congrats to your Bulldogs. Excellent perspective. Uh, we appreciate it. We'll be chatting soon. Yeah, guys. Anytime. See you, man. That's a Mason there, uh, former Georgia quarterback. Uh, excellent visit. Great perspective. I love the first answer about, you know, I'll, honestly, I'm just jealous that I wasn't a part of that moment for my university. That's natural. I mean, if you were a part of it, yeah. you were there on campus, you were a quarterback, you were striving to get there, that... To me, that is an honest, natural reaction that you're at first jealous. Before you're happy, you're jealous that you weren't a part of it and on that team. And then you can't believe it's actually happening. You yeah. know, like from, from the turnover from, <laughs> from Bennett on the fumble, which just incredible to begin with, where you're watching the long replay of everything going on. And then the announcement comes back and I'm, I'm texting you. I'm texting you. Either way, I can't wait to see the reaction of the fans. They're glued to the Georgia fan base here because they're either going to be elated that it's not a turnover or they're going to be crushed that they're calling that, that the play stands. Well, two reactions I loved. The interception return for the touchdown yes. and the shot of all the Georgia fans in the building going nuts, hugging each other, jumping up and down. And the vertical leap on Kirby Smart oh. on the interception – that was some incredible height for a guy who looks like... I mean, I thought he blew both Achilles tendons on that jump when he did that, and then the sprint down the sideline where he's yelling at the uh, the player to get down the whole time. Yeah. Get down, get down, and then eventually stops and starts to see, oh, he might run this thing the whole way back and gets excited. That was really cool. Joe Judge fired in New York. No longer the Giants head coach. He's out after two years. Uh, we'll continue with that storyline. We'll give you the updated list, the way too early top 25, which is immediately released. We'll give our thoughts on just some of the, the teams there. Uh, we'll give you the top pairings, uh, top five picks for the NFL draft. We've got that all straight ahead on OutKick 360. OutKick 360 rolls on. Joe Judge is out in New York as head coach of the Giants, this is the right call. This is the right decision. And that's why I was like, uh, press the brakes, tap the brakes, because just because Gettleman retired yesterday, the announcement was yesterday, and that Joe Judge remained head coach, that doesn't always signal that he's sticking around. Uh, sometimes there's an ultimatum handed out that the coach will not agree to. Sometimes the answers in the meeting don't appease the owner. And what we went through, Chad, uh, uh, 40 minutes ago in our discussion, the quotes over the last month would not appease me if I'm the, the, the owner, if I'm the Maras 
and running the New York Giants football team. Yeah, I mean, they got to the right decision. It was only, what, a day too late after Black Monday, but I just don't understand not just clean, you know, tear the Band-Aid off all at once. Gettleman retires, forced into retirement. You fire the coach. But they get to the right place the next day. I wonder how much Aaron Rodgers' comments on Joe Judge <laughs> had to do with his firing. But that comes down, they're like, yeah, we got to fire this guy now. Yeah, you know he's out. He's a laughing stock. Aaron Rodgers hates him. Chad, I'm guessing the top 25, the way too early top 25 for next year with college football that was released is not going to shock anyone with some teams at the top. But what are your takeaways? Well, so there's a bunch of these. I'm using the one from The Athletic. Stuart Mandel uh, put one out earlier today. But there's a number you can can sort through, and they all have different, different teams in different spots. But pretty consistently, Alabama, Ohio State, and Georgia are one, two, and three in some order. Uh, This one has Alabama one with Bryce Young and Will Anderson coming back. Ohio State, two. C.J. Stroud coming back for Ohio State. Georgia at three. This is what might surprise people after that. Utah at four, uh, who played oh. very well in the Rose Bowl. They get a lot of guys back. Notre Dame, five. A&M with that great recruiting class. They lose a lot of their top players from this past year. Uh, but with that great recruiting class, good talent coming back also. They're number six. Michigan, seven. Clemson, eight. Another surprise, how about Dave Doran's NC State team, ninth in the athletic, way too early, top 25. Um, they are next with one year's... of the top quarterbacks, Devin Leary, coming back okay, next I, year. I, I don't want to over... like I, I don't fully agree with what I'm about to say here, but based on that, without just I'm just analyzing everything I, that you just laid out, they are next year's North Carolina. Yes, it would be fitting that North Carolina State is 2022's North Carolina Although, of 2021. I love Dave Doran and the way he acknowledged and took everything head on with UCLA backing out of their bowl game after they flew out there. Here's a couple of big um, uh, what-ifs with teams that were surprisingly really good this year at 10 and 11. Michigan State and Pittsburgh who we just saw in the Peach Bowl, is preseason 10 and 11. Um, Peyton Thorne is back at quarterback for Michigan State. They lose Kenneth Walker the third. Uh, we got a coach now at Michigan State getting paid top-level top money uh, for big results. So they're preseason 10th. And at Pitt, Keaton Slovis, Keaton Slovis, however you pronounce his name, the transfer from USC, you're putting a lot of faith in Slovis if you've got them at 11th in the preseason taking over Kenny Pickett. Now, they get back Jordan Addison, who was the Blitnikoff Award winner for the best receiver in the country. They get back pretty much all of their offense outside of quarterback. But that's a lot of faith in, in Pitt. 12, Baylor. And how about this at number 13, Tennessee. In the way too early top 25. Fourth team in the SEC. And that is all due to Hendon Hooker making the decision to come back. And they pretty much get their entire offense back. And now they're adding Isaiah Nayor, who from Wyoming was their top player, maybe the top receiver, uh, in the transfer portal. So that's going to be an interesting to watch. Oklahoma State 14, Wake Forest 15. In the SEC, Arkansas at 17, Kentucky 21 in the top 25. And then the teams just missed Ole Miss, LSU, Mississippi State are the three SEC teams just outside of the way too early top 25. This means nothing. We don't even know who the quarterback's going to be at Ole Miss right now and some other programs. A lot left to, to, to be seen with transfer portal, everything else. But always fun to just take a glance ahead at next season. Three teams are going to dominate right now the NFL draft talk as we look ahead to teams and how they line up after the season. 
Both the Giants and the Jets have two picks inside the top 10 based on the way they finished and and way trades worked out where the other teams would have finished. And the Philadelphia Eagles have three first-round picks and they're in the postseason. Very beneficial from the Carson Wentz trade. Jacksonville, Detroit, Houston, Jets, and Giants are your top five picks currently for the 2022 NFL Draft. Look, it's way too early to talk draft. We're talking playoff football when we return tomorrow. Dan Dockich is going to join us as well. Hope you will. 2 o'clock Central, 3 o'clock Eastern for Outkick 360.